welcome to the Queer Arabs podcast. This is Alia, and I am here with a guest I've been following for a long time, Taus. And I am so excited to get to talk to them. We um, we came across their Insta page like several months ago, and um, have been looking. I've been looking forward to this recording. Um, thank you so much for being here. I'm so happy to be here. I've been a huge. I've also been following. Uh, your podcast it was a sort of light in my like mid early pandemic stage uh, era last summer so it's it's, I've been really grateful for all that y'all are doing thank you yeah it was actually really nice to have this throughout the pandemic because it was something it was a way to stay connected with people Um, anyway can you introduce yourself and tell the listeners kind of your background and what you do I am Tawus Jafar. I am a musician and producer um, by trade uh, as well as artist. And I am now also a non-dualist teacher. Uh, so I teach a variety of meditation and somatic techniques that deal with, I guess, essentially wholeness or feeling whole in oneself. So that and then recently a friend asked me what I do every day and I can't answer that question (laughs) that's good I I like that (laughs) like some of this some of that I send emails whose job isn't it to kind of send emails these days yeah when I like that like not being able to summarize what you do every day I feel like that means you're doing life right can you elaborate a little bit on like uh when you say non-dualist teacher what does that mean great question i'm gonna speak a little bit more i guess about some of the lineages and practices that i've been trained in or learned in because that's the most direct way i can think to speak to that question i was trained or i am trained in a lineage that is associated with um vedantic or Ayurvedic knowledge. Um, so it stems from what's considered now um, India, though I think also it could span into Pakistan and Afghanistan. There's some formal institutions, like different monasteries, but then there's also sort of the informality of the Swami practices of like, like sort of the floating woodsmen, woods women, woods people. And the practice that I sit with, which is my meditation practice primarily, is called Advaita Vedanta. And that's Sanskrit and it translates to more or less to the undivided Advaita, undivided conclusion of knowledge or wisdom. So like beyond that, there is no there is no knowledge. That's it. It's like the truth, basically, Um, which bold claim. But that's the. That's the meditation that I sit with, which that may or may not be a useful answer to your question, but that's my kind of like, like librarian, or I guess like biography of it in a sense. And how long have you been practicing and um, kind of what, I guess like what led you to decide to get the training that you got? I've been practicing for over seven years and I sort of like got into it casually, not thinking about it that deeply, to be honest. I had like been diagnosed with some kind of anxiety thing and was in New York like living in Brooklyn in my mid-20s and then pretty soon after I learned the techniques that I'm now trained to teach I had like a radical shift in my experience of of life frankly and not everyone has a radical shift 
when they when they learn some people are perhaps more in alignment with themselves than I was when I learned but for me it was profound and I was experiencing doing things without that like nagging hum or debilitating hum of anxiety and that was remarkable to me fast forward I did more trainings kind of like here and there I was living in LA and I was like thinking about becoming a teacher because this this astrologer told me that it was my job to care for my grandmother through her transition uh, out of life yeah. or dropping body or and that I and that was like what <laughs> and um, it was sort of like a tight line he dropped in a reading and he was like well you probably should get trained or figure out how to do that oh wow <laughs> and I was like okay how can you, you can't say no to that yeah and I mean like he had some wild stuff about me having actually been my grandfather in my past life um oh, wow. and coming back my grandfather passed relatively early um in his 50s and he kind of like called a bunch of things that's really just like really specifically described him like down to like what kind of property he owned, down to how he passed, things wow. that were just very enough that I was struck by it. So I had that conversation and two weeks later, I ran into a person who leads teacher trainings and I asked about oh. it and I didn't want to go to India because I just feel like, and I'm not opposed to training abroad, but it just felt like the ashram from what I know, which is limited, the ashram scene in India seemed overrun by like white people who mm -hmm. bless Not their surprised. souls, <laughs> bless their souls. Like it felt kind of like it felt kind of touristy and a little bit fratty to me. That will sound judgmental. And so forgive me <laughs> for that. I but that's, that's valid. That's a valid reason. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't really want to participate in that. And so I just assumed like, well, if I use the word God um, because that works for me. If God or totality is everywhere, then surely I can find it here where I am. Um, yeah. And then a teacher popped up. And so I, I went for it. Um, they would get, they gave me a scholarship and because I also that was a thing. I didn't think I would be able to afford being able to train that intensely and a variety of life events just sort of like came together to allow for it to happen. It's incredible. I'm sure throughout the pandemic, has your practice been able to help others cope with like everything that came with the pandemic? I, I'm guessing so. Um, well, I like I'm like you'd have to ask them. Well, true. <laughs> but for me, I like what it helped is that I could be available to people. Yeah. And be aware of what I could offer, what I couldn't offer, and then right. try to work. I mean, specifically, we're thinking about, uh, or I was thinking about, and I guess I should say, I have been thinking about the long-term effects of the pandemic. And yeah, me too. If you, the, like, like, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, there's, like, a logic to, we were all very, I mean, maybe not everyone, but there was, like, a scary thing that happened, and it required global shutdown. A lot of people already had shit going on that wasn't necessarily that easy right. to cope with. So there's all the like pandemic related trauma piled up yeah. on passing. So 
that's been something where I felt like I have been able to be useful in offering just like basic somatic practices. And then I've started doing more trauma informed teacher like trainings so that and in as well as working uh, working with a therapist on my own trauma and being able to hold space for myself in that so that I can be one of the many, many people who are who are trying to help and do do this work with others. Yeah, yeah, I was I've been thinking a lot about like the new the very new um, types of trauma that will come of this period of um, just fear, isolation, um, I don't know. I, I don't know, like, what's going to last for how long, and no one knows, because, like, this is so new for our generation and the generations surrounding ours. So, yeah, that just struck me. When you were talking about your meditation practice, I immediately was like, I bet that was really helpful for people, and it will continue to be. And, yeah, I, I love hearing how this came about, like, how you were led to uh, start training. It wasn't, like completely a conscious decision it was like I mean it was but also like all of the other factors that kind of like led you to it is really cool to hear about yeah I I'm also you you mentioned and I've seen but you have multiple artistic practices I know there's like no compartmentalizing of that I'm curious how your journey with meditation has impacted your other focuses if if so I mean, it's like, it's, it sort of drives the other focuses entirely now. Like there was a point in my life where I was very like sort of strategic planner. I was very achievement oriented, um, outcome oriented, and I would say striving constantly. And there was a moment like this is common for folks who start meditating and they have a daily practice. They get this kind of like surge of energy and they're like, oh shit, let me go God mode now. <laughs> and you go God mode with some of the, maybe with some of the addictive patterning that you have. So I went God mode for that year where I really like got the juice of the meditation practice, but also was still like so into achieving. And I just did so much. I tried to do grad school and tour with my band and do an artist residency, actually multiple artist residencies, and tried to keep going like that. And at a certain point, I crashed. Re like, I crashed, but then I was sort of like, and this is like, I had a kind of dramatic experience where I crashed and it was kind of like being born again, not to borrow a term from our Christian friends, um, but, or maybe to borrow a term from them. I didn't know what it meant until... Yeah. <laughs> um, I had a few friends who were sort of like in the spiritual world, like in a way that I wasn't even aware of in like kind of say to me that I was having a Kundalini awakening. Oh, wow. And I, I thought I had a fever. Or I was dying. <laughs> That's it was like yeah. in a moment oh, of wow. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was in a moment of a crash. I didn't know what was going on. Um, I checked it with the doctor. They were like, you maybe have a flu. But for like a week, a few weeks, I was mostly, mostly in bed. And then working with, I feel like people are familiar enough with like Ram Dass now that I could say I was working with the ener that energy. And it was kind of like a purification. So 
what that means is it was helping or I was being guided or guiding myself with the energy to understand how to understand the limits of my body and how to work with those from a position of love and care. So for a few months, I withdrew from, I sort of got a little bit better, respectfully withdrew from school. I really like did my best to kind of close that chapter out with a great deal of care because I really valued that experience. And basically like woke up January of 2000, must have been January of 2016, and I had a blank slate. Like, I woke up, and for the first time in my life, I had no plan. That sounds scary and liberating. Yeah, I, and then there was, like, accompanied with this feeling of, like, I don't think it will ever not be like this again. Like, I think this is the way that this is for me now. And so it kind of, and so, like, yeah, it kind of has been, actually, like, so to answer, like to give you all of that is the answer to your question around like, basically that's how I practice. So my, I, there are things I, that naturally stay with me that I like. I like painting. I like making music. I like doing nothing and going on walks or like taking naps. <laughs> I like watching ancient aliens, you know, there's mm -hmm. just like stuff that I'm like, I get a ping and I go and do it. And yeah. I, you know, I don't like telling my parents that that's how I live, but um, that is kind of what it's like for me. That's what it's been like for me since since that day. That's beautiful. Okay, that's, that's really cool because um, I would love to hear, like, what your process feels like and looks like. Um, like, for example, when you are creating music, um, are you, like, thinking of the outcome? Or, like, how does that, how does it, happen well right now i haven't really been recording too much music mm -hmm. um i'm kind of setting myself up for i feel myself building like there's a desire building in me to want to make more and the way that it i did it last time was didn't intend any outcome at, at this point though it's true i've been professionally making music for like a decade so there's a point where i felt like if i I know that if I walk into a studio, I can create something. Um, and if I'm not self-conscious about that, maybe I can just flow and that will be enough. For me as well, my personal experience with life is is that these things are sacred um, and they're devotional. Um, it's the work in that regard and that play and that whatever, it's devotional. So I set up a container um, what I mean by that is like, I'll open the space, like let's say I'm in the studio, I open with either a meditation or some chanting, some yoga, or some like stretching and breath, like that kind of breath work. And then I sit and then I just see like with life, it's like you, it's like, man, my one of my, my drummer, the guy who drummed with my last band Cult Fever, Ignacio, he said something to me once that also that kind of like changed my life it was about music but it really was about everything like it was about life <laughs> and he said go to the drum kit he was speaking about drums and you play a note you put you hit a thing yeah and then you wait you listen and eventually you'll hear the next note it will come to you but don't try to make don't try to force or push onto it 
so kind of like that so like i took that to heart and 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 so with music making just like with living i do that opening stuff the meditation the breath work the yoga and then the sitting and then something shows up that i want to do or get curious about like there's some like my find my hand wants to go to the piano or i'll i want to go to the drum kit or i'll see something in the room that maybe isn't actually an instrument but that i want to play with or that feels compelling to me and i just go there and then the whole recording session ends up being me following the thread of my the natural arising desires like one after the other and that's it that's the whole thing um and then we have like amazing recording technology now like ableton push and like different things where we can loop ourselves and just like and can kind of get into working like that i i knew that you would have something incredible to say about that i just um i so i'm a classically trained violinist and like one of my majors in college was violin performance i had um I had always been trained like what through the like with Western classical, you know, techniques and music. And I just burned myself out by the end. Everything felt like very contrived and also very limiting. And so I, for several years after that, I just stopped making music entirely. And pretty recently, um, like two years ago, I really got back into making music and I'm trying to find this new way of doing it and like associating music making with more of a meditative practice and I've had a few moments like that where I'm like this is this is what I need this is what it needs to be um so I just love hearing like that you've kind of made that and you you associate like making music with you know you're not forcing yourself to do anything you're not I don't know because I I remember just you know the it was always emphasized you need to have like a practice schedule you have to like kind of plan out what you're gonna do and stuff and I don't think that's right for me anymore and yeah so I've also I've been uh the past like a few months ago I took an Ableton course and I was just blown away like all that you can do and I'm excited to explore that Thank you for thank you for sharing what it looks like for you. I think that's that's really inspiring. Do you feel like cuz I what you described in terms of western classical training mm-hmm. resonates in terms of where I would get stuck or where I would kind of hurt myself yeah. in the um, desire to create in general. And so I'm wondering I feel like for me in order to reapproach music in this way there was some like healing I had to do with my relation, well, with my relationship to myself, but also like then my voice, my primary instrument, I do play a few, but my primary is my voice. Do you feel like you have like rebuilt or been able to heal your relationship to your violin or to the, that like, I don't know. I like it's for non-musicians. It's weird to say that, but I feel like we have relationships to our instruments. We do. Yeah, it becomes so. a. It really becomes a, a, a part of you, uh, like in a way that, yeah, I can't really put into words, but you, exactly. Um, 
I think I have by now. Um, I just two days ago, was it two days ago? Yeah, finished a four week run with a, a show here in New York. Um, it was incredible and like that was one thing that has felt very healing um because I was in this so it was this the director is from Cyprus and so the show was about ancient eastern Mediterranean spring rituals and it was just (laughs) it was so incredible um and she had been envisioning this like dreamlike setting that incorporated like these Greek gods and like goddesses and like, and so we just entered the rehearsal space like without her really knowing the direction we as a cast and a band would take this. And it became so, something so gorgeous. And like she, at the end, she was like, this is what I, my dreams have looked like, you know? Wow, um, wow. And so, yeah, and like being a part of that and being able to just kind of like, just figure it out like day to day what how we're gonna shape this and how yes we were we were um playing like traditional greek and cypriot songs but we were able to kind of decide like which ones and what what versions of them felt right to us and where where they fit into the performance and it, it it felt really freeing um that way of doing it and also like obviously playing with like all the freedom to add whatever embellishments I wanted and stuff. And so, yeah. And like through that, I was like, I have a really good relationship with this instrument now. Like again. Yeah. And so it just, (laughs) it just like affirmed like, okay, yeah, we're, we're, we're in sync now. Uh, me and me and the instrument. So I've really appreciated, obviously I appreciated being able to be in live theater, um, during this time. I mean, this is a huge deal for a lot of us, but also that added element of like, wow, this felt like a way of making music that, I don't know, none none of it was forced. It was just, it just felt so right. So yeah, I think, I think like, I'm not feeling that anxiety or pressure or the somewhat negative reactions I would have to like, when I thought about practicing the instrument, you know, mm-hmm. and that, that doesn't happen anymore. And I think that's been like healing for sure. I think that's a good way to describe it. Were you trained like with Western classical music? Um, well, no, I'm like, actually, I'm, I'm kind of like the musical bastard. I did some classical voice when I was younger and that was like intended to gear me in the direction of like opera and that was I was like in middle school um but I noticed that that's not how I wanted to sing or how I do natural that's not what that wasn't interesting to me I was very it was like the only way that I think my parents could like at the time understand or find like feel that music could be palatable was if Mm -hmm. I did something a bit more like formal then I was like I heard like a Liz Fair record and was like, oh, like I want to make music like this. And so I like in high school started taking guitar lessons and had my first like band like <laughs> called, I think it was called like Channel 78, which was intended yeah, to be an allusion or to fuzzy porn channels. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. 
Beautiful. Like, you know, the scrambled porn. So, <laughs> yeah. It, but so I wasn't. And then basically what happened is I always felt sort of like self-loathing about or like later I realized like this idea that being a music or I had this idea that being a music or an artist was a selfish enterprise. And mm-hmm. so even though that's what I loved and gravitated towards naturally, I went to school and kind of reconditioned my mind to just focus more on other things I loved, which was more like um, community organizing or more in like the, yeah, more in like the um, philanthropic or nonprofit world, social justice world, etc. And I kind of like went through that experience and realized like, fuck, I'm still sick with music. And when I went, like I, I went, when I finished school, I realized like, that's still what I want to do. There was this just like come to Jesus of like, all right, well, I guess then like I, I grew up in the Midwest. So I just thought you have to move to New York to do music quote unquote do music but I so I ended up going to New York and doing like internships at post-production studios and trying to like get in with recording engineers and understand what they were doing at nights mostly um and then taking like all sorts of piano classes and theory classes and just drum like everything I could do more informally like in like in terms of adult education while I was also trying to and launching a band with people who were much more mature in their musical practices in in certain technical respects than I was so I ended up getting kind of catapulted into a landscape where folks were way better than me or I should say way more confident in their voices and that was incredible. Like that was like I could for me for them. I don't know how it was, but for me, it was like that was the best training I could have asked for. And so, what where the healing for me had to come in wasn't so much because I can actually spot it in people who are classically trained. That that piece that you're talking about when they're playing from almost that like um, unnatural discipline. Yeah. For me, it was more like internalized racism and homophobia of the music industry itself. Hey, y'all. Um, this is the next day. We got we had some internet issues yesterday, so we're going to keep talking about like experiences in the music scenes in New York and the fun that comes with that um, and just like some of the challenges we've run across. So... I know, um, Talos, you were talking about, like, kind of the internalized racism that followed um, your involvement in various music scenes in New York. I'm curious, like, what that looked like for you, what the healing process looked like. Mm, Cool. Like, yeah, we're like whole new humans today. Uh, So maybe I'll have a different perspective on it. Like, one of the things that, like, really hit me at one point was that all of my highest best memories from music um we you know my band released a song at the time blogs were like a thing so we got picked up and covered by blogs and then we signed quickly pretty quickly signed a publishing deal and then within a year we're like headlining or playing at the music hall of williamsburg and playing south by southwest and like having a lot of 
fun. And I was having a fucking blast. Like I was so it's like I was at the same time that I was like getting to perform, getting to put out original music and living like a, a modest dream because I didn't have like grandiose like like missionary like expand everywhere music fantasies I had like god I really want to have like a connection with crowds and performance and musicians on stage and whatever so at the same time that I was having those experiences retrospect or hindsight and reflection offers me that I was also completely I was hiding so much of myself in order to present the project in a way that could be legible to the types of audiences that at least the blogs and journalists were interested in serving for indie music it wasn't so conscious but I mean I was like it wasn't so conscious and I don't think I was self-aware enough to have seen it at the time. Maybe others saw it in me, but I was on this, on like the other side of the spectrum suffering because a part of myself didn't feel free. I didn't feel comfortable with gender nonconformity at that time. So that was awkward. Like, I don't know if there, there's not really a more elegant way to say it. A&R is predominantly run by white men across the music industry. And in those experiences, I have to sit in I have to sit in rooms or I've had to sit in rooms repeatedly and feel what they're projecting onto me and understand that either the person that I am authentically is absolutely not going to fly or be of interest or I play into their projections in order to get a project served. And so that's not that wasn't always true, but that was often my experience. So I feel very grateful for that project and I also feel so grateful to see what I see now and to no longer feel like, I mean, I feel very free of having to do those things. Maybe because I, if you're young and insecure and you go into the music industry, it will cannibalize you. And it totally did. And I, but I grew stronger from those experiences. Um, I can negotiate a contract now and not feel like I'm getting one put by me. There's a lot that I could say there. I don't know. That's that's in the direction of what we're talking about. So, but it, that particular piece, the thing that really like I've had to sit with, and this has been true for my entire life, and maybe you can relate to this, is like all of my good experiences prior to this like awakening that we all had last year around. Not, I mean, some of us were awake to race and the deep structural inequities and systemic inequities and what we've had to be living with that white people have been like happily asleep to and many non-white people have been happily asleep to but that particular like stick for me that's the train coming by my neighborhood I don't know if that picked up my most beautiful memories are also blended with these kind of like self-betrayals or moments of of having to duck to survive and how I just don't want to do that anymore um, and then what doors are opening up that look different than the terrain I covered before, the spaces I've been before, but that feel just more wholesome to me and um, more in recognition of the human being that I am and that the other types of human beings, spaces where other human beings like me can be seen. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. But... Yeah, totally. And it sounds like you, yeah, you're still able to take away pieces, like some very 
vital and important pieces from um, what you had before and the experiences you had before, but you recognize like what elements are a thing of the past and you're going to keep them a thing of the past. And like, I, that's so real. I mean, I, I think, yeah, I think many of us like grapple with that in whatever context we are trying to be involved in. Yeah, uh, before we started the recording, I was talking about like one of the Arabic, even one of the Arabic music scenes in New York and like there's like something problematic there with a gatekeeper who is a white man and how that kind of like affects others' views of themselves and views of the right to have a space. Um, which is unfortunate, and so I'm hoping that, um, yeah, over time we create spaces and create just like communities and spaces that just feel more aligned, in alignment with what we need and want um, so that we're not, we're not um, getting parts of the repercussions of, um, you know, that stuff. <laughs> so yeah 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 that's so real and like I don't want like I mean the other part about that vetting or that gatekeeping then there's this like kind of cultural vetting that's done by white people for Arab and Muslim art and creation where like I get questioned by white people about my authenticity <laughs> as an Arab or a Muslim and I'm like or if I'm contributing to like, and I don't love strongly affiliating with identity. I genuinely don't. I feel yeah. like a free child of the universe that, you know, if I'm giggling over there in the corner, I'm not thinking about my identity um, right. usually. <laughs> but when it comes to how we've been, how we've all been conditioned to relate to one another, I have to think about my identity because there's there have been roadblocks and 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 I'm blessed and there've been areas where I've had few roadblocks and have been very encouraged and supported. But yeah, that negotiation is so sticky and kind of gross and like what you're saying finding more spaces that feel mutual like feel of us and then mutually supportive is so exciting and attractive to me so i <laughs> yeah there are certain parts of identity that like when you have someone someone kind of trying to try to suppress parts of you in certain ways or like not allow you space where you should have space it, it kind of makes you have to focus on certain parts of your identity every so often and even if like you're not wanting to all the time so yeah that's a yeah it's a tricky balance um speaking of identity by the way what is your like <laughs> lol, what, LOL. <laughs> uh, what is your like cultural family background anything you want to share sure oh my family is from uh, baghdad or baghdad for like so many centuries i'm pretty sure my mom's side i mean everything gets a little bit mixy but my mom's side is much more bedouin arab and my dad's side is like maybe some zoroastrian and turkish and arab blend it's kind of hot yeah, yeah. <laughs> i guess like that. that's a humble brag but i was like i'm kind of into their like 
their strange like eclecticism like they look just so interesting to me even because I look a little bit more I took on more of my mother's coloration so god I just objectified my dad's side of the family I hope they find that okay (laughs) (laughs) and um, that's their deal and then there's she uh, she yeah from my mom and both dad is from Kazmia my Mm. dad is yeah so, so uh she I should say what else can I say about them my family what other identity like that that's like the we're the queer where it's queer Arab so that's yeah I've got my Arab like yeah that's the Arab <laughs> yeah coverage that's cool. that yeah we they moved over they left three weeks before the Iran Iraq war they had my dad was like they were redrafting folks and my parents like my dad specifically his family was a target of Saddam like pretty regularly there was some like torture and harassment they had just gotten married and my mom had just finished school and that summer their families got together and just said we think it's best you leave for like some time just a couple years a year the war will be over Uh, they'll have to forgive me that I'm not going to tell their version I'll tell their story from my from what I understand of it, but they they basically at the time there wasn't like computers regu- like uh, seeing what people's last names were, fact checking identities and stuff. So they, my mom said that she was um, like a housewife with many kids, just taking um, taking some kind of vacation with like a small suitcase. And my dad said that he was a bachelor uh, visiting his brother. He had a brother studying abroad. And they, like, because the, the boundaries were closed, if they had said, we're leaving, then they would have <laughs> um, gotten sort of, so they kind of, like, snuck out in that way and, like, went through checkpoints, just kind of, like, concealing things so that they could, they could try to move through. My mom remembers that people were getting, like, stopped for doing the same shit. They made it out. They they went together but pretended to be separate. And once, I guess, they got to Istanbul, they described just feeling this enormous relief. They didn't talk to each other or even look at, dare look at each other before getting there or something. So, yeah, then they made their way. And they were, like, in their 20s. I was, like, figuring out how to do my taxes in my 20s, you know? No kidding. <laughs> they sound like amazing people. They are. They are amazing. They're, like... Yeah. So then eventually that story ends with me getting born here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Good good end um to that. I, I don't know. Yeah, that's like it sounds like they had to just grow up so quickly in that through that experience. Yeah, some of the stories like they just I mean I went back I went to Iraq in two thousand fourteen. They said something to me about um, living in fear all the time, that they're like, you do not understand, you don't understand what that's like um, to be constantly afraid that you could get picked up, that you could be raped by one of said, like you could be doing your uh, classes and get picked up by one of Saddam's people because they saw you and they thought you were cute and then get raped or like just sort of these like intense fears that they live that you're you would say something and your neighbor would hear it and then they your neighbor would report you these kind of like things so 
so yeah when you say like grow up to it's like I don't it's like can you imagine being a child and learning that you had to to mitigate your language is like as of three based on whether or not your parents would be like picked up and tortured for for something that you said it's hard to complain to someone like that I'm sure yeah (laughs) you know yeah yeah fair fair well thank you for sharing that um yeah, I'm, that's that's amazing you got to visit, and that must, like, yeah, I can't imagine how that must have felt. Was that your first time? It was, it was. I had been, like, wanting to go, but was afraid, and then there was a window um, where I was working with the human rights group. They were doing a training at an LGBTQ shelter, security a security training, and it was um, pretty dl and so i was able to go back with that group yeah it was it was pretty remarkable my mom is like talking a hot game about trying to go back and she does this periodically and i'm like okay like if you do like i'm 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 not not open to exploring it but in my mind now i have so many um you know a month after i came back in 2014 I was told that things were relatively safe, and then um, then the Islamic State swept through. So there is just, I don't know if it's, it's my ignorance of what it's like on the ground, and it's also just a general fear of being an American citizen, but I have a lot of family that's been going back, so maybe it's also fine. I am glad, yeah, I am really glad that you did, you were able to when you did. Wow. Did you have... What what's some like good memory from there? Did you have good food? Oh my god, yeah, it was so cool. Like yeah. the, I mean, everybody I met there was so generous and yeah. like cooked, cooked like the most incredible food. And then like also it was cool because I was like getting taken to some of the cool like underground cafes or maybe like queer bars or queer or more queer oriented spaces um but like very dl low-key and that was really special for me it's like amazing to see i know in the circumstances are not always great but to see people like who are i consider family still trying to find ways to find each other um, was yeah. really magical and felt special to get yes. to see. To get to a point, or to be in a space and with a group and community where like um, they'll extend that level of trust to you, like that's just always so special. Can you talk about what you have coming up next, by the way? Okay, yeah. So I um, have a song coming out next week on Tuesday the 22nd. The Yellow Party Project, I think, is going to premiere and feature it. It's called Total Habibi. (laughs) I play some instruments on it. I sing on it. I'm, like, so happy it's been some years since I've put out my own music so I could not be happier to be doing it next week for pride or like around pride time and feels like having this conversation with you and then having Yella do a feature all of that feels very much like if I had a hometown state like a hometown press to play 
to or like a hometown newspaper to put it out on. It's like this is where I want it to be heard about first. So it's very meaningful to me to get to have this conversation with you right before. I know this um, feels like yeah. Yeah. Well, we're honored. (laughs) That's what I love about this podcast. It just like no matter I don't know, whenever we start recordings with guests, it always just feels like we've known each other for a long time. And it's just, it's a really nice, yeah, I'm excited. I'm so excited to hear it. Where can people check it out? So Yala, you It will have a feature there and then it will be out on all of the things. Spotify, Tidal, there'll be a video out probably on YouTube and Vimeo, all, Apple, all of the, all the all the places yeah (laughs) oh yay um and then if people like want to follow you where can they do that what's the best like platform instagram is pretty much the only thing i'm on so at those jafar and that's that's what i got (laughs) so yeah that would be great (laughs) ah i'm excited also i'm really for the listeners, I'm really excited that we got, we talked, because I, I told Talus I'm in, like, this funk today, because I just finished one music project, and now I'm like, now what? And just, like, talking to a fellow music person who's so, I just feel, like, very on the same page with you, and it's just, like, a nice, uh, I don't know, I have, I'm having, like, a mood shift today, Think. To this conversation that, so that makes me so happy and also it just reminded me the best advice I've ever gotten for like you weren't on tour but you were in this really amazing kind of consuming intense um show and the best advice I've gotten for post tour depression which is like a thing some musicians get or sure. funk <laughs> is do your laundry like like do your laundry cook for yourself like do really basic creature things and i i to this day i'm like if i'm in a funk even if it's not related to tour i do these like really basic ass things for myself as like a maybe it works because it's like a gesture of kindness or something yeah and it feels like a reset in a way i like that yeah yeah well, I have laundry to do, so I think that's actually a good... <laughs> I just, like, feel... Yeah, like, that. those clothes out of the laundry where you're like, huh, okay, I'm starting over. Starting with something new, so... I love that. I'm going to always remember that. Because, yeah, because it's feeling like this funk is also coming with lack of motivation to do any basic thing. So I think I think that makes sense. Like, start with the little things. And then you're like, oh, I accomplished this thing. Um, then like, yeah. And even like cooking for yourself, you're like, oh, okay, I'm taking the time to do something to like nourish myself. Um, I love that. Well, thank you so much for being here. Um, this was amazing. And I'm really excited for your track. I can't wait to hear it. Um, and you all can follow us on Insta, Twitter, and Facebook at The Queer Arabs. And our website is thequeerarabs.com. So thank you. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me.